Welcome to another episode of the Unibytes podcast, where we share a piece of the world's news with you, our audience. I am your host, Kareem, and I hope that you enjoyed last week's episodes. We had a COVID episode, and we had an episode about GameStop. You can still check out the GameStop one if you're interested in the stock, or you just want to know how the stock actually changed. This week, I will be discussing Rihanna Taylor's case. The reason I've picked Rihanna Taylor's case is because, for one, it is a very important case when we talk about criminal justice and the Black Lives Matter movement and our reckoning with racial justice and equity. But for another, impeachment is going on. The impeachment trial has been happening. There should be a vote on impeachment very soon, and we will hopefully know the results next week. The big point about impeachment is accountability. And accountability is also front and center at every point in Brianna Taylor's tragic death, in her murder. We are seeing that people are trying to hold law enforcement accountable by trying to rally for Brianna's law to be passed in other cities, such as Corpus Christi. Actually, at the time of release, when you are first listening to this, there should be a rally going on to get a version of Brianna's law passed that would ban no-knock warrants in Corpus Christi. If you don't know who Breonna Taylor was and how she died, I will tell you. And I will also go through all of the, not even all, because there's so many, but at least some of the points where there was a lack of accountability and awful, inhumane work done in the name of law enforcement. So I will begin by emphasizing who Breonna Taylor was. There are a lot of sociological studies that suggest that black people who are murder victims are far more likely to be to not be talked about in terms of their social connections and statuses. So in terms of their family relations, their occupation, their impact in their community, where they stood, and other things when compared to white murder victims. I do not want Brianna Taylor to be one such person. So we need to know who she was. Brianna Taylor, at the time of her murder, was a 26-year-old black woman. She was born in Grand Rapids, Michigan. She was born to a single mother, Tamika Palmer. And she was born with the chance to do a lot of good. She was very self-driven, very motivated, and very responsible. All of the friends, the parents of her friends, and even her mother and among her sisters agreed that she was the responsible one. She constantly set goals for herself. She wanted to achieve and make something of herself. She had a vision board. She talked about how this year was going to be her year. When she got to 2020, she made post-it notes everywhere. She wanted to go get her degree in healthcare. She was very motivated. Brianna Taylor moved to the University of Kentucky in order to get her degree. She was trying to pursue an, a healthcare-related field. She met Kenneth Walker, who would go on to be a long-term significant other at the University of Kentucky. She had to drop out because she needed to pay rent. She had to sustain herself, and she couldn't afford to keep paying for the degree, so she went and sought out work. She decided to be an EMT. She first worked at the Fraser Rehabilitation Institute 
at the University of Louisville's Health Hospital, and her job was to help people recover from traumatic injuries. She always said that healthcare was something she wanted to go into because she knows that she's making a difference in other people's lives. And to this point, it's not just that her work, which is a remarkable field, should be commended as a very important act of service to these people. It's not just that she helped those people. She even helps people in her, in her workspace. Her co-workers were inspired by her. She would show up to work every day 20 minutes early. She had some co-workers that were written up for being habitually late. And one of those co-workers was so inspired by Brianna Taylor showing up every day early, 20 minutes early, that she started to show up on time. She was incredibly goal-oriented. She wanted to live life big and live it to the fullest. She was really into cars. And to fulfill a part of that love that she had for cars, she actually spent a year making a plan to save up money so that at the start of 2020, she could get herself a nice car. When 2020 began, she got herself a brand new Dodge Charger. The amount of commitment that she had to doing what she wanted to do and living the best life possible is phenomenal. It is incredible to see. The unfortunate thing is that as she was trying to make her life the way she wanted it to be, she had some relations and relationships that were going to make it difficult. In particular, I'm talking about her ex, Jamarcus Glover. So Jamarcus Glover was an ex-convict. He basically was involved in drug trafficking. He operated multiple trap houses. And at the time that they were dating, which was kind of on and off, Glover was definitely involved in drug dealing. Brianna Taylor was not. There's no evidence that suggested that she was involved in drug dealing or any of the criminal activity. What implicates her is just her relationship and the fact that she did pay bail for Glover twice. With time, they grew increasingly distant. And it got to a point where Taylor said, I'm cutting this off permanently. We're done. And she was focused on starting a life with Kenneth Walker, moving into a new home, and having a baby, starting a family. The night that would end all of that had a lot of steps before that, where there was no accountability and there was malpractice. So the police is trying to bust the drug trafficking ring that Glover is connected to. He's one of the main guys in it. And they're trying to see how they can pin him down. One of the ways they think they can is with surveillance. So they surveil and they find that there are multiple trap houses that he operates. They're able to get this piece of information done. Another piece of evidence they think is valid is trying to see if he's getting packages sent to Brianna Taylor's place. Because when they were dating, there was a lot of shared things. Brianna Taylor once paid her, his phone bill. He reimbursed her for it. Sometimes the, some of the money that he had would be with her. Whether or not it was drug-related, we do not know and cannot conclude. But what we can still say is that she was not involved in any of the criminal activity. There was no evidence suggesting that. 
to see if there were any packages sent to her place, they asked USPS. When I say they, I specifically mean Sergeant Jonathan Mattingly of the Louisville Metro Police Department. USPS told him multiple times that there were no packages delivered to Brianna Taylor's address in the name of Jamarcus Glover. But then, with time, they decided they were going to get the warrant. And the warrant that they got listed USPS confirming that Glover was receiving packages at this address. Judge Mary Shaw signed off on the warrant, said that everything looked good. Detective Joshua Janes, also of the Louisville Metro Police Department, submitted the application. When it came about later that there would be you know, a criminal investigation, we will see that these two actually show multiple instances of not being accountable and basically lying. But before we get to the criminal proceedings, we need to talk about the criminal act beyond falsifying the warrant. So they get the warrant on March 12th. They're supposed to go March 13th, and they don't even have an assembled team together. So they just grab a bunch of police officers from different areas. One of them was actually supposed to be on vacation on the 13th. That was Brett Hankison. They didn't have a concrete plan as to what they were going to do. They didn't have proper communication. They drew up everything on a whiteboard without clear details. They didn't even know who lived in the house, apart from Brianna Taylor. Some were saying that she had a child. Others were saying she was alone. Maybe Jamarcus lived with her. We don't know. They start the raid, and they go at midnight. More reasonably, they go around 12.30. They're lined up outside the door, multiple officers. Mattingly, Miles Cosgrove, and Brett Hankison, among other officers. But these three in particular are liable for criminal activity. Brianna Taylor pulls into her driveway as they're doing their surveillance. And she's with Kenneth Walker. They both enter the house. Yet the officers who are on lookout, Sergeant Mattingly, said that he and his partner did not realize that she wasn't alone. So Brianna's expecting to work overnight. She's waiting for a phone call. When she doesn't get a call, she spends the night with Kenneth Walker. Kenneth Walker never left the apartment in this time. So we know for certain that there are two people in the apartment. It is a mistake of law enforcement to not see it or claim to not see it. We cannot tell if they were telling the truth or not about that. So, they were briefed differently about who was in the house, and they couldn't conclude who was in the house. But they also had new orders that they had to follow. Remember that the original warrant was a no-knock warrant. Now they were instructed by their superiors to knock and announce when they made it to her apartment. This means that they are responsible for identifying themselves. These multiple officers who are outside the apartment are responsible for identifying themselves. Is it easy to do that? Yes. You yell loud enough. There's enough of you to make enough noise for people to hear. What happened next is a major point of contention between the police and the offended. Some say, some being one neighbor after initially not saying this and the officers saying this, that they actually announced themselves. But what Kenneth Walker said was that when Breonna Taylor was hearing the door being knocked on multiple times, bang, 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 
She called out, who is it? But she got no response. It's 12.30 in the night. She's in her bedroom. They're only gonna assume that these people are intruders because they're not identifying themselves when they're asked. So Kenneth Walker, doing what he should, tries to defend himself. He grabs his gun, as a licensed gun owner, by the way, he does what he is allowed to do, legally can do, legally should do, practically should do. Try to defend his home. Try to defend the people in the home. He approaches the door. The police use a battering ram and then break the door open. They break into the house. So Kenneth Walker fires a warning shot aiming down. Mattingly claims that he was shot in the leg by Kenneth Walker. Multiple shots start being fired from the police into the apartment. Kenneth Walker does not fire another shot. Combined, the police officers fire 32 rounds into the building. Brett Hankison fires 10 rounds by himself. Some of the shots went into nearby apartments, including an apartment where there was a pregnant woman and a small child. Some of those shots hit Breonna Taylor between all the officers. It was determined in FBI ballistics report that Miles Cosgrove fired the fatal shot into Breonna Taylor. She's on the ground in her own hallway dead. At no point did the officers identify who they were supposed to shoot, who their target was like they were supposed to. Sergeant Mattingly apparently didn't know who was even the target on the warrant. And she's there on the ground dead. Kenneth Walker calls 911 trying to get medical aid. You may be wondering why is he calling 911? The police is at his door. They came dressed in plain clothes, meaning they were dressed like normal people, and they didn't identify themselves when asked to. No aid is given to her. Aid is given to Sergeant Mattingly, and Breonna Taylor is dead around 1247 or 1242. There were no drugs found in the apartment. This no-knock warrant was for searching to find drugs, drug money, something. But from this point on, the police just start trying to pin everything that happened on other people and not take accountability for anything. Accountability is super important here. The county prosecutor said that the search was over once the shooting started. What? Why were they there? Why were they there? They were there with a warrant to search for something that they had falsified in the first place. Sergeant Mattingly, who was shot, allegedly by Kenneth Walker, sues Kenneth Walker after the fact. And the police initially charged Kenneth Walker with attempted murder for shooting Sergeant Mattingly, despite the fact that he was just defending his home. There's a murder victim here. And what did the police do? They started the entire operation on the assumption that Breonna Taylor was involved in drug money and drug trafficking. They started with with an awful assumption about her character, and they ran with it to the end of the earth. They set up the warrant. They go to the home. They don't even know who's in the home. They don't identify that she's the target. They don't even know who's on the warrant. And the worst part of all, the main suspect in the whole operation, Jamarcus Glover, had already been found and arrested 
40 minutes before Brianna Taylor was killed. Somewhere else. At a different location. Well, you may be wondering, oh, well, how could they have known? It's their operation. It's their responsibility to know. And in fact, they tried to cover this up too. If you look at the, at the uh, arrest citation that's made for Jamarcus Glover, you can see that it's written 12 a.m., all the other information is filled out on the paper. In the same type of font, same handwriting, the same heaviness of the ink on the paper, all of that. But later you see that next to the 12 in the time, there's a very faint 4-0 written at an angle next to the 12. They basically tried to make the documentation say that they went to this place at this time, which matched with the time that they went to Brianna Taylor's. Essentially, they're skewing the timeline to absolve themselves of wrongdoing here. Because their argument is, well, we executed the warrant. This, and she had to die because, look, they died or, she died around the time we arrested. So she was clearly a threat. She was already involved in drugs, involved with this drug dealer, and she was clearly a threat. When we talk about accountability, they were so willing to hold her to some standard when she was trying to make changes in her life. Like I said, she was trying to study, get her degree. She was going to go into nursing. She's serving as an EMT during a pandemic, and she is breaking away from Jamarcus Glover. She was moving towards having a baby and a family with Kenneth Walker. She died for no good reason. Not that there's a good reason to commit murder in general, but she died because people would not be accountable and because people wanted to run away with their fantasies. Here's how the prosecution took place. This is where all of the unaccountability shows itself. Attorney General Daniel Cameron oversees the case, and he takes it to a grand jury. By Kentucky state law, what is supposed to happen here? And logically, what is supposed to happen here? The prosecutor, Daniel Cameron, brings the charges against these people and presents the evidence to the grand jury. The grand jury looks at the evidence, and determines from the set of charges given what the indictment should look like. Now, there's very good reason to say that the charges could have been murder, homicide, manslaughter, because legally those were all possible in this case. The evidence suggested so. However, that's not what happened. Daniel Cameron operated with this premise. This is his idea. You got to get into his idea for a second. The police were acting in self-defense, which means they could not have been doing anything criminal because Kenneth Walker fired first. Therefore, there was no chance that they could have committed murder, that they could have committed any criminal act, and so they will not be tried for those criminal activities. What they will be tried for is the one person who damaged property. Remember that Brent Hankison fired into that other apartment with the pregnant woman? Yeah. He got three counts of wanton endangerment for basically damaging that property and other neighboring properties. There was no mention in the charges of Brianna Taylor. When the charges were read out, there, were, there was no mention of her by name in the court proceedings. You have to ask, how did all of this evidence turn into essentially no charges and no arrest, no conviction? Cosgrove was not arrested. Mattingly was not arrested. Hankison was indicted. $15,000 bond. 
and gets out. He has his, he's terminated from the department and Cosgrove and Mattingly are demoted or put on administrative leave, I should say. No accountability here. The legal process was supposed to hold them accountable for what they had done. The head of the unit, Kim Burbrink, has just been demoted and reassigned a few weeks ago from her position because she actually interfered with a part of the investigation. There's clearly so much shady stuff going on in the background. The NAACP's Legal Defense Fund has a report about the investigation. Here's some of the things that they found to be problematic and miscarriages of justice, of justice, basically injustice. So for one thing, there are different ballistics reports. The FBI, as I said earlier, concluded that Miles Cosgrove fired the fatal shot. They were also able to determine other aspects about the, the shots that were fired. Daniel Cameron received the FBI report. And then instead of trusting the information that the FBI was more than qualified to provide, went and sought out another ballistics report from Kentucky State. And the Kentucky State report could not reach the level of information that the FBI gave. They couldn't conclude that Cosgrove fired the fatal shot. They couldn't conclude that Kenneth Walker fired the shot that hit Mattingly. And they said that it was even possible that Hankison had a gun that shot Mattingly, a 9mm caliber gun. How do we not know? Because Hankison left the scene, likely with the guns that he had. And why would he confess to having that gun? Daniel Cameron operated with the assumption that they were innocent of criminal activity. So he spent his time defending his decision to get this ballistics report in his speech after the indictment was announced. There was a lot of bias that he held towards the police. Prosecution would not answer grand jury questions about very simple things, like, for example, how many officers said they couldn't remember what happened? Or was the car that you used in your warrant registered in the name of Breonna Taylor? The prosecution actually did not answer these questions. Another question, a very obvious question to ask, was where was the body cam footage? Detective Miles Cosgrove is actually pictured having a harness for a camera, but there's no camera present on his body, nor is there any body cam footage from the incident. There's only camera footage from after Brianna Taylor is murdered. The response from prosecution when they were asked this question, why is there no camera, was, I don't know. I don't know. How am I supposed to know? Not all of that stuff. They just said, I don't know. But that's how it comes off, right? They don't want to do their job. Your job is to find the information and actually prosecute the case. But they're op operating with the idea that these guys are just innocent. Kenneth Walker was interviewed as a part of the investigation. And they didn't read his Miranda rights to him before they started interviewing him. Part of that interview... They spent asking him about a prior DUI that had nothing to do with the event. Not a single thing. And when they were asked why his Miranda rights were not read out, the reason they gave was that they were just trying to get to know him. Yeah, they casually violated constitutional rights to get to know him after they killed his significant other. With no merit, by the way. Notice, by the way, no one's denying that they killed Brianna Taylor. No one has said none of us killed her. No one has said that she didn't die. 
No one said anything like that. There were questions about the warrant and whether or not it was actually valid. There were questions of evidence tampering. And a whole lot of garbage. There's a lot of information about what happened here. But as you keep going through the list of failures, it becomes less meaningful. What is more meaningful is understanding why they were so willing to be this awful with their work. Quote unquote work. The reason is they were perfectly fine with doing what they wanted because they didn't think they would be held accountable. And the issue is they were not held accountable in the prosecution. You can still see that none of them have been arrested, charged, convicted for her murder. Her murder is just been written off. The city of Louisville passes Brianna's law to ban no-knock warrants while not prosecuting the people who killed her with a no-knock warrant. Mayor Greg Fisher described her death as a tragedy when he's in a position to actually do something about it. The city of Louisville settles for $12 million of Tamika Palmer on the largest settlement we've ever seen in a case like this, while admitting no wrongdoing on their own part. They still think they're innocent. Attorney General Daniel Cameron met with Tamika Palmer just before he announced the investigation results. He had the audacity to make this single mother go to him, believe that she might get justice for her daughter, a black woman who is killed on the assumption that she is involved in drugs because she was once dating this dude without knowing her full story, without knowing really who she was, serving during a pandemic as a frontline worker. You made that mother come to you, Daniel Cameron. Believe that everything's going to be okay and then turn around and do what you did. You'll tweet about Black History Month and you won't honor the black lives that are here in front of you. You are one of them. He is one of them. When you don't hold people accountable, especially people in power, this is what happens. At first, they decide, I'm not going to take out the trash. My roommates will take care of it. And then, when they don't take out the trash, and you don't hold them accountable, they are emboldened. Because you know that you're not going to be responsible for it. Nobody's going to come make you do it, or worse, punish you for not doing it. So you're not going to do it. Impeachment is supposed to serve this purpose. What happened on January 6th was atrocious. What happened to Breonna Taylor was atrocious, was disgusting, should never have happened, was murder. You can even argue premeditated. I mean, the work was so awful, they basically had to intentionally be that bad. Intentionally. And you can only operate that bad on a conscious, intentional basis, if you think that you're not going to be held accountable. And so as we wait to see the results of the impeachment process, we must remember that it is important for us to hold everyone accountable in our systems, because if we don't, people get hurt. Breonna Taylor is no longer with us, but you can still fight for her movement and fight for other black lives and other lives in general. If you go to justiceforbriana.org, you can still petition and call for action. Call for indictments and prosecution. 
from the attorney general, from Louisville Metro Police Department, from the mayor of Louisville, and other major organizations. And we hope that the impeachment proceedings will actually show some accountability. This concludes this week's episode of the Unibytes podcast. Thank you for listening. If you would like to get more content, Lottie will be releasing his episode, his financial economic segment, tomorrow. And we also have Twitter and Instagram at Unibytes Podcast, where you can follow us for more content and to find our content in other platforms. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day.